Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms and every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach for their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we are all chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to be put, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Without a doubt, the biggest problem that the early church had to face didn't actually come from outside of the church. It came from inside of the church and in particular in the division between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Yeah, sure, they faced some struggles from outside as well, from the Roman authorities and even from the society of the day, as we saw in, uh, in the passage in, in uh, Acts when Paul was in Ephesus. But by far the biggest threat that the church faced was the division between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Almost every letter in the New Testament, every letter to a church touches on this issue. In some letters, like Romans, the majority of the letter, the overwhelming majority of the letter is devoted to dealing with that issue. Now, this is a tricky thing for us to actually get our head around. We're living 2,000 years after all of these events and we're living in a whole other world than the one to which this letter was written. It's not an issue that we encounter today, a division between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, but it was a real threat back in Paul's day. Now, as we open up Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we're going to see that Paul is addressing this issue right here in the opening chapter. But let's take a step back for a moment. Who is writing this letter? Well, it says it right there in the very opening word. Paul, the apostle, is the one who is writing this letter. It seems that he's in prison in Rome at the time. It always amazes me, Paul never makes a fuss about his time in prison. Uh, doesn't plead for, for people to sympathise with him. Uh, he's, he'd, he's, wherever he is, he's serving God. And he's written this letter to the church in Ephesus. 
He's been a follower of Jesus since his dramatic uh, conversion on the Damascus Road, which would have happened about 25 years before he wrote this letter. And it amazes me that Paul can write these letters in prison, unsure what his future is going to be, but no whinging or complaining. I can't help but think that if I was in his shoes, my letters would just be all about whinging and complaining about how terrible the food was in prison or how they're not looking after me or it's too cold and I don't have enough blankets. But Paul, there's none of that, none of that for him. Not feeling sorry for himself, but trying to write a letter that's going to encourage others, encourage them to press on in their trust in Jesus, encourage them to live out the gospel in every area of of their lives. So Paul's the author of the letter, but who's the letter being written to? Now, you might think that's a simple question as well. It says Ephesus there, doesn't it, in the opening verses, right in that first verse, to God's holy people in Ephesus. But you might notice that there's a little footnote attached to that. And it says that the oldest manuscripts and presumably the most reliable manuscripts don't have the word Ephesus in there. The earliest and most reliable manuscripts say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus. The word Ephesus is not there. It seems that this was a general letter that probably would have been read out to a few churches. At the end of the letter, we we hear that it's actually being hand-delivered to the church by a guy named Tychicus. Uh, The letter closes with these words in, uh, I think, I'm not sure if I've got it there. No, I haven't, Uh, but you've got a Bible in front of you. So chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 21, Paul says this, Tychicus the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. So Tychicus is taking Paul's letter, presumably not just to the church in Ephesus, but to a bunch of churches around that area uh, where it would have been read out to keep them informed about what's happening with Paul. But the other thing to suggest that this isn't really a letter simply to the church in Ephesus is that there's no mention of any names. Paul spent three years in Ephesus, three years teaching them, three years explaining the gospel to them, three years of bringing them to maturity in their faith. You'd think if he was writing a letter to that church, he might just mention one or two people. If you have a look at Romans, uh, Rome was a church that Paul had never even been to. He mentions 29 names at the end of that book, people who are connected with the church in Rome. But here in Ephesians, no personal notes, no, no mention of any names. Now, if this was just for the church in Ephesus, I think you'd expect a couple more names to be in there. So I think it's pretty safe to assume that this is just more of a general letter Uh, that's been directed to a few churches where Tychicus will take it, read the the letter for them and update them on how Paul is going. Now, one more little thing, and this one's a little bit more on the controversial side, one more little detail that I want to point out to you. If If the passage says right at the beginning, to the saints in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ, I want to suggest that he's actually writing to two different groups of people the saints and the faithful. 
That word saint comes up about 60 times in the pages of the New Testament. And just about every time that word comes up, it's speaking specifically about Jewish Christians, not Gentile Christians, just Jewish Christians. Paul seems to be making a distinction between the saints, the Jewish Christians, and the faithful who are the Gentiles who've come to faith in Christ. And it's right there in that opening verse. I think sometimes we can look at the New Testament and we can kind of feel like the Jews were the bad guys. I mean, they were the ones who killed Jesus, weren't they? But that's not what we see in the pages of the New Testament. The Jews aren't the bad guys. The Jews were the people to whom God had made these incredible promises. And when Paul, a Jew, uh, he, whenever he preaches, he encourages those who've come to faith in Jesus, the Jewish, the Jewish brothers that he has, brothers and sisters who've come to that point of trusting in him. There are those who can trace their ancestry all the way back to Abraham, Jewish people who now trust in Jesus. And these people make up a very large part of the early church. The earliest leaders in the church were all Jewish. The first converts in the church, when Paul stood up on that day of Pentecost, it was all Jewish people who came to faith in Jesus. And then came the Gentile converts, those who heard about Jesus, uh, people who'd known nothing about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, didn't know that story at all, but heard the story of who Jesus was and what Jesus did, And they knew that they needed to place their trust in him. They needed to follow Jesus. They've heard Jesus, they've heard the gospel and it all made sense to them. Jesus was clearly the guy that they needed to follow. So there are those who have been part of the story for a long time, the Jewish brothers and sisters, and there are those who have come in on the tail end of things, only finding out about Jesus. And this is going to be the balancing act that the early church has to work with. Now, together, they're one family because of their trust in Jesus. And as Paul writes this letter, he wants both groups to remember where they came from, how they got to the point that they're at. See, the struggle that happened in the early church was that the Gentile Christians wanted to make the Jewish Christians more Gentile and the Jewish Christians wanted to make the Gentile Christians more Jewish. And neither of them needed to do that. They just needed to remember how they had arrived at that point of trust in Jesus. If the Jewish people think that the Gentiles have to stop eating pork or that they need to grow the hair down the side of their heads, then it's going to get complicated. And if the Gentile thinks, if the Gentile Christians think the Jews are crazy for not eating bacon and trying to observe the Sabbath, well, it's going to get a bit tricky. For both these groups, it's important to understand how you got to the place that you are now, how you got to that point of trusting in Jesus. Now, I mention all of that because starting in verse number three, Paul launches into what looks like a song or a psalm from the Old Testament. And it's a song that's predominantly about the story for Jewish Christians a song about their experience. Now, that's not to say that none of this applies to Gentile Christians. Paul will get around to addressing the Gentile Christians right at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. But here in chapter 1, Paul talks about the amazing thing that God has done. Verses 3 to 14 
in the Greek is just one sentence, 202 word sentence. Imagine the trouble that you would have got in at university if you wrote a 202 word sentence in one of your essays. But look at some of the incredible stuff that he says. Verse 3, blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Verse 5, predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. And the list goes on and on. But the emphasis here is that God has put a plan into place that has run over a very, very long time. And there were thousands of people who were longing for the fulfilment of God's plan and God's purpose, who were longing for God to send the Saviour, for God's plan to reach its fulfilment. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses... Joshua, David, Ezekiel, Daniel, and the list goes on. Were all faithful people longing for God to do what he'd promised he would do. They've heard the great news that the Saviour has come, that Jesus has come as part of God's plan. And I think Paul is wanting to stress that God's plan of salvation didn't start with Jesus... It began with the promises made to Abraham. Promises reaffirmed all the way through the pages of the Old Testament, all the way through the history of God's people, Israel. This is an incredible sentence of 202 words that take us through that story. Uh, Verse 4, God chose him in him the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Verse 5, predestined for adoption. Yes, Jewish and Gentile Christians have arrived at the same point but they need to remember how they got there and we're going to see more about that over the next couple of weeks. Now as I said if you're uh, it's not as if these opening first 14 verses uh, are only talking to Jewish Christians the blessings that he talks about do belong to all those who trust in Jesus So when we read through passages like this, we have to make it very clear that there's a lot to thank God for, Jewish Christians as well as Gentile Christians. And that's what this opening section is about, thankfulness to God for all that he has done. It's funny though, isn't it? I wonder how often we feel like that. I wonder how often we feel like just thanking God for what he's done for us, remembering the incredible plan that he's put into place that now involves us because we've come to that point of trusting our Jesus, trusting in Jesus. See, the funny thing is, I keep thinking we we often look at the Christian life as just being a bit of a chore, as something that we've got to get out of the way on Sunday so that we can get on with the rest of the week. We can often think that Bible study or maybe even coming to church here or helping out with youth group or being on the morning tea roster, we can just feel like that that's just a drain on our time and our energy. But Paul wants to remind us in this passage that this relationship that we have with God is something that we should never stop thanking God for. We should never cease to be amazed by what it is that God has done for us. Our relationship with God is not a chore. What we're reminded of in these opening verses of Ephesians is that our lives ought to be lives of of thankfulness to God for all that he's done for us. 
in light of what God has done, we should live lives that reflect our deep appreciation for all that God has done for us. In the decisions that we make, the way that we conduct ourselves, we need to remember who we are, who it is that God has made us. Way back when I was training to be a school teacher, there was a guy that I was studying with who was just always positive, you know, really helpful guy, really generous, do anything for you, all-round great guy. And I can remember asking a few people that I studied with, what do you reckon the story is with him? Why, why do you reckon he's like that? And almost everyone said, well, I think it's because he's a Christian. Now, this wasn't Christians who were saying that, but they could see in this guy's life that his faith shaped everything that he did, impacted everything. So even all of these non-Christians could look at him and say, yeah, it's clear that he's a Christian by the life that he lives. There's someone who's living that life of thankfulness, thankful for the life that they have through Jesus, thankful for the forgiveness that God has given them, thankful for the hope and the future that they have, thankful for God's love. And you could see it in the way that he lived his life. We've got a huge amount to thank God for. And we can thank God for all of those things that we read there in that passage, that God has included us in that plan, in that purpose. We need to make sure that we face each week ready to live out that life of thankfulness, to live in a way that brings glory and honour to God and to his son Jesus.